so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is life. Come and speak to us today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. So we're continuing on in our summer series looking at the book of Romans. In 2014, 276 Nigerian girls were kidnapped from their school in Chibok by the terrorist group Boko Haram. You might remember it in the news for a while. These girls were held for ransom, forced into marriages or sexual slavery. Nine years later, Amnesty International, just this last April, did a report on them. Really unfortunately, 98 of these girls are still in captivity. Of the ones who are no longer numbered there, many died because of the brutalities forced upon them. Some of them got out through government negotiations, and a very small select few were actually rescued personally by people who went in and did rescue missions. Um, there are former colleagues of mine who are Nigerian pastors called Hassan and Justice, and they were able to take place in some of these rescue missions for these precious girls. And I want to tell you the story of Rachel. Um, they got received a tip about six months after the kidnappings that there was a woman in their community in need. That's all they heard. They didn't know it was links to these at all. And of course, like most great pastors, they want to help with someone in their community. So they followed the tips. They went, all of these anonymous contacts. They ended up at a checkpoint. Much to their surprise, they were right near where all of these abducted students were held. And as they were able to smuggle out Rachel, they realized she was not a woman in need. She was a little girl about the age of Sophia, 13 years old. Not only had she been kidnapped and held hostage, but her parents, who had been teachers at the school, had been brutally murdered. So she was alone and orphaned. Um, Justice had a family of four boys. His wife had always prayed to the Lord for a daughter. So when he picked up the phone and called his wife and said, um, this is not a woman in need, it's a little girl who needs a home, the wife responded, this is the precious daughter we've always prayed for. It's a beautiful, brave, amazing ending to a nightmare of a story. And this is exactly where Paul picks up his discourse in Romans chapter 6. See, in Romans chapter 5, he had really dug into what it means that all of us had been caught in sin in our old life. But then he ends this beautiful chapter in Romans 5 with these precious words saying, where sin increased, where evil was deep, when there was so much that we couldn't handle, God's grace abounded even more. But then he picks up in Romans chapter 6, starting with, well, what do we say then? Or do we continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. It would be just like saying, Rachel, wow, your rescue story, how beautiful, how amazing, how redemptive. Because it was such an amazing story, don't you want to relive it? Should you go back to the camp so that rescue can happen again? Of course not. 
ridiculous. You should see some of the looks on your face as I'm saying this, right? That's, that's what Paul is saying to people, to any of us in our hearts that might say, well, it's God's job to forgive us. We're missing the point. By no means. God forbid, Paul says really strongly, or as Gen Z would say these days, that's cap. You're kidding me. By no means. So the first thing that Paul says to us today is we are dead to sin. Well, what does it mean that we are dead to sin? First off, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we are completely immune from all temptation, all ungodly behavior, or attitudes. Shucks. Wouldn't it be nice if being dead to sin means forevermore it bounces off of us and we are super Christians that never struggle ever again. It doesn't mean that. Paul's pretty clear, actually, later on in this passage and then in the very next chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in Romans, Romans chapter 7. You can read ahead. It's, we're going to cover it in a couple of weeks. He's really candid about his own struggle. He's like, I want to do right, and I can't do it, and I don't want to do wrong, and I keep on doing, oh, what a wretched man am I. He really gets up close and personal, right? So Paul's really clear that when he's saying to believers today, you are dead to sin, it doesn't mean that followers of Jesus won't have to struggle anymore. We'll still struggle. But one of the beautiful things about God's word, about the book of Romans, and about our Christian community, is that we can be open and honest about the fact that sometimes we all struggle. We can turn to God in our times of struggle. We can turn to the community and be open and honest and have accountability. And we can remember the promises that we receive through Jesus. So what it means to be dead to sin is first and foremost about a change of our status. What do I mean by that? God's abundant grace met us all in the thick of our deepest, dirtiest, darkest mess. Not to tell us, hey, you're fine, just as you are. Just, you're fine right there. No. But in order to rescue us out of it, just like Hassan and Justice rescued Rachel out of that slavery. Being dead to sin means that we are no longer slaves to the tyranny of sin that we all lived in before our conversion. And as a result of this death to sin, we can no longer live in sin anymore. In other words, we can't be okay with habitual sin in our lives because habitual sin speaks to tyranny, right? The exact type of tyranny that we have been freed from. It's as, think as, as unthinkable as Rachel going back to Boca Haram to experience a rescue again. So how does this amazing, glorious death to sin happen in our lives? Well, the simple argument that Paul goes on to say in this passage in Romans chapter 6 is that by our own profession of faith and renunciation of sin at baptism, we are united with Christ. And through that union with Christ, we become participants in all that he has accomplished, both death to sin and resurrection to new life. So we are dead to sin, and then that's the next point that Paul goes on to unpack in these verses. We are united with Christ. 
in verse 3, he goes on to say, Do you not know all of us that have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, the New Testament consistently portrays water baptism as a fundamental component of conversion. And it's clear that when Paul talks about baptism in these verses, he's using it to, sh to signify or as kind of like shorthand of saying the whole conversion experience, our conversion that we have when we decide to follow Jesus. What he doesn't say here is that baptism in and of itself has the power to convert someone or to bring us into relationship with Christ. Baptism when joined with our genuine faith is what brings about our union with Christ. And you'll read that in the Book of Common Prayer. You can find it on page 858 if you want to look it up afterwards. It explains that Baptism as a sacrament is an outward sign of an inward grace, which requires what? That we renounce Satan, repent of our sins, leave that tyranny through acceptance of Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Maybe it's been a while since you thought about the baptismal vows that you took, or maybe since you heard them, or maybe you have yet to be baptized. I'm going to take a moment and read out these vows Listen to what the statements are saying about union with Christ. Do you renounce Satan and all of the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? I renounce them. Do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? I renounce them. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him? As your savior, I do. Do you put your whole trust in his grace and his love? I do. And do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? I do. What beautiful statements. What beautiful professions. And in our renunciation of sin and faith in his lordship at our baptism and conversion, we are united with Christ, Paul's telling us both in his death and in his resurrection. So we are made free. That's what Romans goes on to say. We are no longer slaves to death and sin anymore. But what does freedom truly mean? I had a mentor a few years back. His name was Oz Guinness. And I promise you, he spoke with this big, booming voice all of the time. He used to tuck his thumb into his belt whenever he wanted to make a point. And he was a philosopher. He was 76, and he was the smartest man I probably ever met. And he would go, Michelle, I have a question for you. I'm like, okay, here we go, right? And we were talking about freedom. And he's like, when you think about freedom, you can think about it in being freed from something. I'm like, okay. And in this passage, that's what Paul's talking about, right? We're freed through union with Christ in his death. Freed from what? Sin, the tyranny, the slavery. But we're united with Christ in death and united in his resurrection. So then Oz went on to go, but you're not just freed from something. You can be freed for something, right? And when we're united with Christ in death, we are also united with him in his resurrection, and that's what baptism signifies. Some people use it with sprinkling, but many people in the body of Christ use it as an immersion to actually signify the going down and being buried and coming up again and being raised to new life. And so baptism, union with Christ, is covering both of those bases. Through our union with Christ Jesus, we are freed from the tyranny of sin, and we are freed for new resurrection life here 
and now. Paul puts it this way in verse 4 and 5. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Now, this idea of union with Christ, church fathers and church history has spoke about for years and years and years. Jesus first spoke about it in John chapter 15 and John chapter 17, praying that we would be one with him. The word united in English, in the Greek, when Paul's using it here, actually means a planting with. I think it's beautiful. And let's think about planting shrubs, right, or, or bushes. Paul uses the image of planting to explain what this union with Christ at our conversion and baptism means for us. In our baptism, we are actually being planted into the soil of the death of Jesus Christ so that we can be raised and grow up as a totally new person with his resurrection power. Sounds too good to be true, right? I mean, we say these things a lot. We see them. At baptism services, even when we go into the time of the Eucharist, we're going to be talking about remembering what Jesus did, entering into it, and walking out in newness of Christ through union with Christ. But what's our guarantee that it actually makes a difference here and now in our life? Can we believe that resurrection life makes us a new person, totally free to live new? Well, our first guarantee of this new life is in the historical Jesus. It's Christ's resurrection. Did you know that there is abundant historical evidence that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead? It's not just a myth. It's not just a fable. You can go and you can study it. And since Jesus Christ was resurrected in history and raised to an altogether new plane of life, we can expect that as well. Because when Jesus raised Lazarus, or the widow's son from the dead, all of the people he rose from the dead, what happened to them eventually? They died, right? But Jesus rose from the dead into an eternal realm, and he will never die again. In fact, what does the Bible say that he is doing right here and now? It says that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, doing what? Interceding, praying. For you and for me, what is he praying for? He's praying that we'd be filled with that resurrection life, that through our union with him, we'd be able to live as a new person, not only delivered from sin's tyranny in his death, but given the power here and now in our everyday lives to obey God's word through his resurrection life. So we're dead to sin, we're united with Christ, and how does Paul end this passage? He says, remember who you are. In verse 11, it says, so you also must consider, that word consider is actually count yourself, reckon, understand, figure out, you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus 
Some of you might know that Peter's family started um, drug rehab centers around the world, starting in Spain 40 years ago. And in the Spanish centers, while Peter and I were student pastors in Oxford, we would take groups of 20 to 25 university students on summer mission trips to live in those rehab centers, to do service and care um, for these people that were in active recovery. And part of those trips is, would be going daily to these outside drug camps just outside the walls of Madrid where basically the government had said, we'll build walls, there's a garbage dump, you can have a homeless count, um, center, and you know what? If you do drugs, it's not, our, it's not our business anymore. It was a terrible place to live. One of the students described it as being like one of the rings of Dante's Inferno. But we would go out there with fresh water, with food, saying we love you, we're here for you, and an empty van. Do you want to come back with us? It's totally free to come into the recovery center. One of the leaders of the women's house that me and the girl students used to stay in was named Carmen. And Carmen, she's exactly the picture of a beautiful Spanish flamenco dancer that you could bring up in your mind right now. She had these flashing black eyes and really dark hair and a great smile. And she was so olive. And she just was full of joy. But what I noticed is that when the new girls would come in, she would always take them into her room first because when the new people would come off the street, they would be going through withdrawal and they needed 24-hour care. And she would stay with them. She would always say, I want to stay with the new people. And one day I said, Carmen, you know, what is it that makes you specifically want to be with these people at the beginning? Because there was lots of other things she needed to be doing as leader of the house. And she said, because when I first was rescued, one of the hardest things for me was remembering that I was rescued. And she went on to tell me that for months after she came out of the camp, people wouldn't be able to find her in the house. And finally they'd go out in the middle of the night and she was hovered outside again, sleeping or using the bathroom outside, not caring for herself because she was so used to that slavery of not belonging of living homeless, of not caring for herself. And she said, the only thing that brought me back is they would take my face in their hands and they would look at me and say, Carmen, remember, you're part of our family. Carmen, remember, you're free. Carmen, remember, you have dignity. You deserve to be here, come home. And she said, I want to be able to help these girls remember they're free, remember who they are. And this is where Paul ends here. He says, you know what? I get it. Sometimes it's hard for us as believers to really believe the results of this type of divine calculation. Okay, we become a Christian. We say yes to Jesus. And through baptism, we're dead and we're free. And we're free to live a new life. But it, sometimes it doesn't feel like, like that really matters here. How can that be true? And this is where our faith comes in. See, true faith is not trying to believe in some sort of impossible story. Oh, I'll never be tempted again. I don't miss the things I gave up on to follow Jesus. Never again. No, that's not what faith is, believing the impossible. But it's opening our eyes to the reality of who Jesus is, what his death and resurrection accomplished, both in eternity and in our lives, and then standing in that reality as a baptized child of God and saying, in Jesus, my old self is dead. In Jesus, I am free. 
in him, my mistakes have been forgiven. My shame is gone. My fear is gone. My addiction is gone. The comparison of others is gone. Greed, envy, you fill in your struggle. Because of him, I know who I am. And that's the challenge that Paul lays out. When we remember who we really are in him, we can act accordingly. And before we go into the time of the Eucharist or communion today, let's just take a moment to pause and reflect and remember for ourselves, what do you know to be true? If you have been baptized, what does it mean to you? Should you be exploring its significance a little bit more? If vows were made on your behalf when you were a child, maybe it's time to consider a reaffirmation of your vows. If you haven't been baptized, it's never too late. Maybe it's time to think about it. Or maybe today, right now, here with the people of God, where we're going to take a time to remember what God has done. Maybe today you want to take a step and say, I want to unite myself to Christ afresh. I want to be free and dead to sin and alive in him. And if you want to do that, as we take this moment to pause and remember what we believe, I'm going to say a prayer to end. And if you want to echo it in your heart, feel free. It's going to be a prayer of repentance and saying yes again. And after we have communion, we always offer a time of prayer. We'd love to pray a prayer of blessing over you as well. So let's just take a moment to quiet our hearts and to reflect and pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, Thank you so much for your abundant grace that came and rescued us right in the middle of the deepest, darkest mess we could make. We're sorry, but sometimes we doubt that. We don't believe it. We feel the pull to go back. Thank you for what you offer us in your death and resurrection. We turn to you. We say we want to live in the newness of life that your death and resurrection accomplished for us. Help us to remember who we are in you and come and make all things new. In your precious name we pray, amen.